How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the 2023 Stanley Cup Final on the third line plug, Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Doing all right. Just a little tired. I know we're going to talk about it when we get to our new section of the episode, but uh, porn went out for our old boy Snoop Dogg on the bad news. We are... For him, anyway. I'm making some Snoop Dogg orange chicken for dinner tonight. Ooh, okay. Okay, I'm fascinated to hear about this. Okay, what exactly is Snoop Dogg orange chicken? So, I think I mentioned this on the podcast previously, but uh, for Christmas, Chelsea got the uh, Snoop Dogg cookbook. You did mention this. I do recall this, actually. Yeah, so uh, we previously tried the orange chicken recipe. It was pretty good. So we're like, oh, let's do it today. Uh, so I did all the prep work before the co- podcast and Chelsea's going to do the frying, which like the coating and frying, which is honestly the hard part. And he can't, he can't coat it in advance or it gets soggy. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically his uh, orange chicken sauce is orange, like orange juice, sriracha, honey, chili flakes, and soy sauce with a little bit of, with a little bit of sesame oil. Now, are you talking like cartoned orange juice or the stuff you buy in the frozen section? I got a little bottle of Tropicana. Okay. I'm, I'm really fascinated to know how this turns out because honestly, I would, I don't know about you. I would trust Snoop Dogg with a cookbook. It's, it's got a forward by Martha Stewart. Man, you know what? I just love the fact that Snoop and Martha are tight. Yeah. And only one of them has been to prison. That is true. <laughs> That is true. However, only one of them wrote gin and juice. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But then again, can you imagine if Martha Stewart came out of nowhere and bought a hockey team? That that does seem pretty out of character for Martha Stewart. But then again, Snoop Dogg owning a hockey team almost seemed out of character too. But then again... We've it, seen him wear a Sens jersey before, at least. I know. It would seem kind of it, but I know that he's a big sports guy. Oh, yeah. Like, Snoop's been around the NHL for years, too. Yeah, because, I mean, he was even in the LA Kings commentating team at one time. Yeah. Uh, commenting positively on Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That is true. That's almost as good as Snoop Dogg doing the National Geographic. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. It is good stuff, Tim. It is good stuff. And we're going to a great episode ahead because we've got lots of stuff to talk about. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Sens ownership situation. That's finally come to an end. Got to talk about the Alex to break it situation a little bit. But before we get into this, first of all, I personally want to thank all of our listeners for listening to us all over the years. We I really appreciate that you've been listening to our playoff episodes. I really hope you enjoy them. We do got to make a quick announcement here, Tim, to start off today's episode. As you know, this is our Stanley Cup final episode for 2023. And I do want to make a comment here. And it was something that I was going to make a mention last week, but unfortunately, or sorry, mentioned last time, but because of uh, time restriction, we never got to do this. So I just want to let our listeners know that you and I will be taking a break from recording this summer. It's one of these things that I talked about. I talked with you about this. I talked with you about it. Sorry. Prior to season six ending. And I, was very open with you. I've You and I have always been open with each other when it comes to stuff in our own lives and whatever. I think when it came down to the end of season six, I really got to a point where I was like, it's getting to be much. 
Yeah. Not not in a bad way, but it was just because I felt really burnt out. I was mm-hmm. getting burnt out. Because, you know, the thing with season six, Tim, and I don't know how you felt about it. I just kind of felt like it was kind of directionless because we didn't really put a lot of the work behind the scenes into it because we came off season five. That was such an overtaking. And as much yeah. as I love season five, you know, when you have the monthly guest host, everything that we went into it, season six, it didn't have the same sort of focus or direction. No. And it didn't help that we didn't have the time. Exactly. And I always try to at least put it in context of our own lives, right? Because yeah. you were super busy in your own life, planning your wedding I was super busy with getting a new job, moving, getting COVID, all the stuff in both of our lives. So it got to a point where I don't want to say our hearts were in it. Our hearts, we yeah. love doing the show. We love getting together and to talk about the sins. But it just got to a point where even for myself, I think around January, February, because I got started to get really burnt out, I even got to a point where I thought, is the show running out of gas? Yeah. And it got to a point where even for me, if I was sitting here thinking, you know, if the show came to an end, I would be happy with what we did. Well, I think we've done some cool stuff, of course. We have. But there's still more to do. Exactly. And that's what kept me going, right? It's just like, I know that we're entering our silver seventh season. And that's going to be really fun. I really, I know you and I are going to have some cool stuff to do. We haven't really talk anything about it we haven't really had anything planned at the moment but that's more for down the road but yeah around late march i finally said yes as look i think we really need to take a break because i'm super burnt out we were super busy in our both lives but i think the one thing for me is because heading into last summer like i said we finished our fifth season it was such an overtaking season six was like okay we're gonna do more simpler we didn't have a game plan we didn't really have an idea of what we wanted to do i'm not saying we didn't do some cool stuff in season six like mm-hmm. we talked with kevin Hemina. we got to chat with that solar bear fan john john hill but it just felt like it was the same old same old like we're sp- spinning our tires and for myself i just feel like a break is necessary because we we do go we're gonna take summer vacation for real this time we are gonna take a summer vacation now if say certain plans change throughout the summer and maybe we have a big name guest that comes on the podcast or something cool happens that we're like okay we need to record we'll do it then but i feel like just because we were so busy we did run ourselves really hard i feel it's necessary for us just just take a step back no i agree yeah i do understand that i am kind of rambling about what's going on i don't have anything recorded written down any of that stuff so i just wanted to let the listeners know however i will say though and it really sucks that we're we are taking a break because you know there's so many off-season episodes that we always did redraft we always did we always did fun episodes like this however is what it is right i do i do hope we do the free end the free agent episode i think the free agency episode is definitely going to be a must because somebody finally won Free agent prices right last year. What are you talking about? Chelsea won the first one. You're right. So true. So true. Yeah. Five years later, we still haven't bought her that bottle. <laughs> well, you guys don't drink anymore. No, we don't. So it's kind of a mooted point, right? Yeah. I think it's more for bragging rights. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But you know what, though? Our Silver 7th season is going to be great. 
we are going to have some cool stuff planned and I don't want to get too much into it just because we haven't really had a full idea of what we want to do, but that remains to be seen though, Tim. Yep. So let's get into it. We will get it right into it, but I'm going to ask the all important question, Tim, because it's been a, lot, a little while since we got a little bit of an update. First of all, how was your honeymoon? Good man. It was really good. So we kind of did a big, Big trip of Southern, well, I don't want to say big trip of Southern Japan, but we went for two weeks to uh, Okinawa, which is very, very south in the archipelago. It's actually a, a lot closer to Taiwan than the home islands. So very different culture, very different, very different climate and uh, different cuisine. From there, we went to Kobe, uh, spent a night in Kobe, then went up to Osaka, went, and then from Osaka, hung around Osaka and Nara, which is one of the, it's just like the ancient old capital. Then we went up to Tokyo for a week, went to see a concert, saw family. Just had a good time. Yeah, so bunch of stuff that we did. So uh, in Okinawa, like first day, we we ended up getting up at like six because like jet lag, right? Even though we didn't get into Okinawa from Kanda until like 11 p.m. Yeah, until 11 p.m. the night before. And uh, we're getting our stuff off the off the plane, got our check bags and Abby pulls up to pick us up. We're like, oh, can we just go across the bridge to our hotel? He's like, sure. And he doesn't put the cabin to park when he comes out to help us put the luggage in. So we he gets out the car's there, but then we I guess he put it into neutral or something because we put the started putting the bag in it. The taxi starts rolling away. And Chelsea are like, if this is how our vacation started, this is a problem. <laughs> so then we get into the car and we're trying to explain to the guy where it is. And we're like giving him an address. He's like, can you show me on the map? And I showed him my phone and he's like, he doesn't understand. And Chelsea's like, wait, he can't read because my map was in English. And that was just something I completely forgot about. So we ended up just kind of guiding him to the hotel. Everything got back, got there fine. And the hotel was really nice. Like, and we just stayed in the cab like the capital Okinawa for one day and then went up to the resort we're at. So we actually had a really cool time in Naha. Uh, that that morning, we also got to, we, the hotel I went to had free breakfast and it was like this really nice local buffet, including Shikwaza juice. Now Shikwaza is like a, it's like a really tart lime is, but it also kind of has like the orange flavor to it. So it's like this really tiny green citrus fruit that is only really grown on Okinawa. And it's funny because like they've actually done extensive research on this stupid, on this fruit. And it's like actually quite good for uh, aging, especially mental aging. So we end up drinking it. It's really good. So uh, I got turned on Shikwaza. And that's going to be a problem because that we, we can't. You, do you want to guess how much it costs to get like a 500 milliliter bottle of Shikwaza juice to North America? Okay, <clears throat> let me guess. Okay, I'm going to say... Is it double digits? Double digits. 70 bucks? 65. Ooh, close. Very close. Now, okay, here's the thing. Is that including shipping and everything included? or just? The I believe that's including shipping. Okay. But it's still like, huh. It's a shame that like this fruit isn't grown anywhere else. But we also got... We also ate a lot of the local Okinawa cuisine, which is very 
it's very heavily pork based because like they are a lot closer to Taiwan, which is also a place where eagle people eat a lot of pork. Okay. And it's definitely not as fish based as the rest of Japan. So some of the stuff we did on our first day there is we did a lot of uh, military history stuff. So there was this underground bunker that was kind of the final headquarters on Okinawa for the Imperial Japanese Navy. So we kind of got to go through the got to go through the bunker. It was like, oh, this is where all this stuff was happening. And this is where the Admiral killed himself. I was like, oh, that's neat. So I do get to ask, though, because you did mention about the military bunker, do you find because your dad was in the military that you have more of an interest in it? I guess, but... Uh, or is it just something that you were just like, oh, that seems kind of cool? Well, I've always been interested in military history. So, like, that's just been a personal interest. Yeah, it might, might also probably came from, like, my dad being involved in the military as well, so... The other stuff is... Uh, I remember playing a ton of Call of Duty as a kid, and uh, one of my favorites was World at War, which was uh, the Battle of the Pacific. So I like World at War. I remember yeah. liking it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's cool is like, I went to a bunch of the battlefields that you played, that World World at War levels were based on. So we went to Shuri Castle, which was the headquarters of the Imperial Japanese Army on Okinawa. So that was really cool because you actually got to like go up the steps like as kind of as the player character was like invading castle like the americans actually did right unfortunately the main castle and the courtyard were under renovation so you couldn't actually go in and it's very funny what the japanese do when they're re- doing a massive renovation to a historic site they like build a building around it like that's pretty standard but then they have a picture of the building on the box Okay, now is that just a picture of what it's going to be or a picture of what it was? What it's going to be. What what it's going to be. Okay. So it's just kind of comical. And it was like, they're ask, still asking for the entry fee, but I could see the box like through the gate. So I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, there is construction companies even here that do that too, right? If you go down Shelburne on, in Victoria, if you drive past any of those apartment buildings they're building, they have the picture on the on the fence. Right, but is it a castle-sized building with that picture? It is not. <laughs> However, unlike Shelburne, at least Japan doesn't have those stupid fucking bike lanes. Oh my god, you were so mad about those during the wedding. That was so funny. <sighs> Although, it... it was kind of funny how the route we took from uh, our meeting place to Uvic for the first look completely avoided Shelburne. It was actually kind of impressive. Yeah. It was such a weird route, too. It is because generally to get to Uvic, you would have to either go onto Shelburne or crossover. Yeah. Except it just kind of wowed took the weirdest route to get us onto McKinsey. But anyway, uh completely distracted. So after we did Shuri Castle, we had lunch and uh, I had a bitter melon stir fry. Okay, so what kind of bitter melons are they serving? You? So it's called Goya melon. Sorry, it's called Goya, and it's another melon that's really only grown on Okinawa. And it is, true to its name, very bitter. And it leaves, like, a strong aftertaste. It's very good for you. I didn't care much for it. Okay. I do gotta, I do gotta quickly ask, because over in Japan, depending on where you're at, they have their regional fruits and veggies, right? Yeah. Just because of yep. whatever temper... Uh, temperature, climate, whatever they have. Yep, but Okinawa is very 
has a way more because Okinawa was colonized by the Japanese in the 16th century. So the Ryugoku civilization and kingdom far preceded that. So they there's a very strong continuance culture there. But yeah, so then after we ate lunch, we went to Hacksaw Ridge, which if you played World at War, the level low torch and corkscrew is. So you're actually just like, we followed the hiking path that the American, like the, like we hiked up the cliff and basically followed the path the Americans took up the cliff. Mm-hmm. So quick question. I know I've got several questions I'm going to probably be asking through your story here is that in Japan, on those kind of battlefields, do they have markings or anything that... Yep. Okay. Okay. I've always been kind of curious about and that. And the neat... Yeah, they'll have, like, signage saying, at this spot, this thing happened. Uh, Desmond Doss Point is one they had where this medic basically, like, saved a bunch of people by going up and down the ridge and kind of help helping people up at Desmond Doss Point. It was actually really cool. Um, but what was also neat about this is you could see where some of, like, the foxholes in the cliff were that the Americans were, like, trying to get soldiers out of. It was just, like, a really neat hike up. Okay. And Do then they have for... any of the trenches and any of that stuff from that Oh, side? yeah. Like, they have the old tunnels, but they're not stable, so you can't go in. Right. Okay, so it's kind of like Vimy Ridge. If you were to go there, you see yeah. the actual... All those kind of cool stuff. Yeah, like yeah. But it's also weird because it's, like, a park in the middle of Okinawa City. Sorry, Uruguay, but same area. And, uh... So, like, we were, like, walking up and looking at all this stuff, and then there was, like, the local high school baseball team was doing its uh, endurance exercises up and down by running up and around this ridge. So, they're, like, passing, and they're, like, what are the white people doing here? We're, like, ah, gambare, ah, gambare. (laughs) Like, do your best, keep going. It was funny. Uh, So, after Hacksaw Ridge, we uh, drove up to, up towards our resort. And but we stopped off like this random ass uh, beach that Chelsea had found that was like a sea glass beach near the resort. And to get to there, we had to drive to we had to drive to it, but we had to drive through like thickets and farmland. And the final road that we're driving on, I would say it's about as wide as my desk. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Is it more for is it like kind of like what you need for bicycles? Oh, it, it was like it wasn't even a road. Was it like a? Walk? It was like a trail. I was gonna. I was gonna say, is it kind of? We, like a, we went off roading in a rental car. <laughs> oh my god! I'm like, and it's like it was like a five minute drop. Okay, that's like three or four minute drive down this stretch, and then you get to the beach, and it's beautiful. And then after that, we uh, like we walked along the beach, and like there was like these crazy. Uh, like rock formations that were like carved out over centuries and millennia by the Pacific Ocean. And you could see like the striations on the rock as it happened. And there was like giant gaps between like these huge rock pillars coming out of the ocean and uh, cliffs that the water had run through. So we were walking around that and Chelsea was picking up sea glass and stuff. So that was really fun. Uh, And then we ran some Marines partying on the beach because it turns out that our resort was about, uh, I want to say about five clicks from one of the marine camps okay was it what country was <coughs> oh u.s marines Mar- americans okay yeah so there's a there's a huge base on okinawa so the u.s fifth fleet is uh headquartered out of the bases in okinawa 
Uh, so there's, I think, 250,000 uh, U.S. military personnel on Okinawa. Oh, okay. So when we flew in, we actually, most of the plane was either Japanese tourists going to Okinawa or Marines. We actually sat next to a young Marine who played minor hockey at Arizona. And he was telling us that uh, Austin Matthews was like a year or two ahead of him. Right. So he he did get to play against Austin Matthews a few times. See, that's really cool. That is really really cool. Like he is he he's from Arizona, correct? Yeah, he's from the Phoenix area. That's beautiful, eh? Yeah. So uh, that was that was neat. Uh, the other thing we noticed is like in Japan, everyone does the speed limit. So like we're on the highway, and the high speed limit's eighty, even though it's like a nice, nice wide by Japanese standards anyway highway multi-lane people in the fat are passing doing the speed limit until we got close to Canada. Canada is out of the main urban areas of Okinawa and very close to the American base at Canada. You all know what happened on the highway. Once we started seeing sides to Canada and got out of the urban air, the main urban core. I'm going to say that the speed limit went from 80 to 110. Not the speed limit, but what people were driving. Like, we started getting, like, under... People were undertaking us at, like, 110. Oh, military vehicles. All of a sudden, it was... Oh, the Americans are here. (laughs) (laughs) So then, Chelsea... So we started speeding with them. Yeah, that's the way to do it, right? Even, like, when I drive in the States, even though, like, they're their speed limit is in miles per hour, not kilometers. Rule of thumb is just follow the speed of the traffic and you'll be fine. Exactly, yeah. So we so we actually got to our hotel in pretty good time. Uh, the resort was awesome. Uh, so I booked like, and I can't believe I got like this room for 500 bucks a night on a weekend where it was like a big, kind of a massive suite with a king, king size bed. It's also got this massive chaise lounge. Really, really pretty bathroom and uh, like a hot tub on the deck. And uh, there was a young gentleman who uh, they had help us move all our luggage from the main resort building to kind of uh, where our suite was. And uh, his English was pretty good. And he was uh, he was also completely able to inform me of when the cake that I got room service to surprise Chelsea with was arriving without tipping off Chelsea that it was coming. All in his second language. My man. So yeah, no, my man. That uh, guy's a G. Oh yeah, that guy's a G. So uh, the next day we end up we spent most of the most of the, uh, pretty much the whole morning on the beach. Then we tr- we tried to do some hikes. The first one was to was supposed to be to Tataki Waterfall, but then we realized all trails lied to me. It said, "Oh, this is a nicely well-groomed hike that uh tri- that follows the river up to the waterfall. Not a difficult hike." Guess what the trail was? It was not that. It was the river. You waded the river, and then at one point you had to actually climb a rope up the cascade. So we got to the point with the rope, and Chelsea were like, "Nope." Really, I would assume Chelsea's like. We got this. Just we didn't have the right shoes. Oh, okay. So we just had runners, and we're like, "There's no way that this is gonna, this is gonna end well." 
because there could be more ropes like this. So we called the mulligan. But it, the hike itself was kind of cool because, yeah, you're just wading down a river into the jungle. And the cascades themselves were really pretty. So I'm glad I did the hike, but it was just very funny. It was like, oh, one thing I forgot to mention about the resort. Uh, the resort was famous because, uh, like, kind of famous in a weird way, because for some reason, the guy who previously owned the resort and built the resort was a really big Bill Clinton fan. So he built a replica of Bill Clinton's house, like his childhood house on the resort grounds. And Chelsea are like, that's so fucking weird. We have to find this thing. But like every mention of it had been scrubbed. So we had to find like an old map of the resort on the internet and then cross-reference it with some news articles to figure out where on the resort it was, where, where in the resort Bill Clinton's childhood home replica was. And we ended up figuring out where it was. So uh, they gave us a little golf cart to get around the resort. So we're just putting around the golf cart. The resort tried to figure it out in the golf cart. And we get there. The house has been demolished. No. <laughs> and uh, the reason we thought it's like Chelsea and I were like, oh, maybe we just got to the wrong place. And then I kind of went up to like, so they just demolished it and graveled over the spot. And then, like, I kicked away some of the gravel, and I found a board with the same green trim as the house. And, like, the hookups were still there and everything. It's like, yep, there's our evidence. <laughs> yeah, and then we did another hike uh, out to a, a shrine at a place called Tenya. And uh, it was weird because it felt like the biome was changing every five minutes of this hike. From, like, farmland to kind of more Japanese wilderness to something that looked like it was on Mount Zuhalem. And then we just looked, and then we got to the end, and like all of a sudden the dirt was like bright red. And just looking over this beautiful cave. It was awesome. That's kind of cool, actually. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, and then after that, uh, we drove into town, like the town nearest the resort. That's also like right next door to the marine camp, and had dinner at this restaurant where it's run by this old dude who's probably run it for 40 years. He's got like photos of all the Marines that have stopped in. So, like, the wall is covered in photos of uh, just all these Marines. And the guy, his daughter, I guess, I guess his daughter or something, got up a mobility walker. He refused to use it. So he was just he was just doing his thing, walking. Ain't nobody going to tell him he needs a walker. No, he's just a stubborn old man. Yeah, and uh, we got, like, these massive rice bowls. I got a shrimp one. Chelsea got a pork one. For, like, $9. And uh, like they were, like... Yeah, like a poke bowl. It's called the donburi in Japan, but same idea. So it was like rice and like mixed veg. And I had a bunch of shrimp in mine. Chelsea had a bunch of pork. And yeah, it was like, like it was a massive bowl. So yeah, we had like these two massive bowls of donburi. And I bought like a large Dr. Pepper, like a giant can of Dr. Pepper. And uh, we're, we paid less than 20 bucks. That's a steal, man. You can't even get a plate of that for 20 bucks here. No, like that stuff's awesome. Yeah, so then on our last day in Okinawa, we went to church. Uh, it was Sunday, and uh, we went to the nearest Catholic church that was uh, in the next, like the next town, like the next big city over. Well, big, but it was like about the size of Duncan, maybe a little bigger. And the bishop happened to be saying mass that day, and it was Mother's Day, so he blessed all of the mothers and uh, married women in the crowd. So Chelsea got blessed by the bishop of Okinawa. Chelsea's like, oh, thank you. Okay, yeah. She was like, am I supposed to go up? I'm like, yeah, you go up. So it was just like this very 
funny thing that we just happened to stumble into. And then we got invited in for lunch. But uh, unfortunately, we couldn't stay. Uh, but it would have been so cool to stay. That would be very, very cool, though. That would be honestly really cool. I do got to mention two, well, a couple of things. First of all, at the beginning of your story, you're talking about the cab being popped in neutral and rolls away. And you said, if that's the way it starts, you know what it reminded me of? Yeah. So Katrina and I were in Scotland last summer and we got on the train to go from Edinburgh to Glasgow and the <laughs> fucking thing quit working. <laughs> and we had to go back to Edinburgh and come back. And it sucked because we were in like 30, 35 degrees Celsius weather with 100% humidity as you've been on an airplane for how many hours? Yeah. Well, that's the same thing. But at least that was actually the really nice thing about. Uh, so the way that our flights lined up was we got into Narita Airport, which is on the northeast side of Tokyo. But to fly to Okinawa, we had to fly out of Haneda, which is on the southwest side, closer to closer to Yokohama. So we actually had to get out of the airport, cross the city. And that just got you out of the airport, even if it was a little hot. Like you take the you take the express to Shinagawa, swap swap onto the subway, and you're there. Oh, a Japanese airport food's really good. Okay, what are they serving? Uh the restaurants are actually good. So uh, I had like pork cut, like I had curry and pork cutlet, and Chelsea had uh, udon, and it was really good. Uh, bah, bah, bah. anyway i feel like this has just turned into tim talking about his honeymoon for half an hour or so okay i uh, one more thing i had kobe beef that was good i okay well that too i was very curious about that because you said there was a family sitting next to you that they were just feeding their baby a steak yeah and, uh, and then i just texted you it was like looks like our man guy boucher was not right you can feed steak to a baby that's right but also it was insane i got like I think it was 12 either 12 or 14 ounces of filet mignon done tepin like cooked teppanyaki style so it was like the guy cooking it for you telling you how to eat it for less than 200 bucks that's really good actually like that was wild and i just walked into like one of the most popular restaurants in kobe and got a seat just off the street no reservation shit was wild that is wild man i do gonna say one thing and actually i wasn't gonna mention the kobe beef but i'm glad you brought that up is I love, I love that Chelsea posted the photos of your guys' honeymoon on her Facebook with the caption yeah. of "In another segment of Tim is too tall for things." <laughs> I don't know what was funnier to me: the fact is that you were as tall as the doorway, or just the outfit that you had on that day. For our listeners, you got to realize Tim is you're what six one six six one yeah. 661. Six, yeah, because you and I are roughly the same height, kind of. Tim yeah. is 661. Pretty slender guy. So picture this. Cargo shorts. <laughs> a Sens jersey. A Hawaiian shirt over top of this. And a NASA ball cap. <laughs> I looked at this and my first thought is, for fuck's sake, Tim, you couldn't have looked any more like a tourist if you tried. Oh, that was by design. Ah, oh, good lord. The only thing that was missing, and I was saying this as somebody at work, I said the only thing that was missing is that old school big camera around your neck. <laughs> That's all that was missing. Either that or binoculars. That is true. That is true, man. The binoculars would have been great. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we did spend the last half hour 
talking about your honeymoon, but you like know the first have... three days. <laughs> exactly. But you know what though? Like I said, this is the kind of stuff I love about doing our podcast and that we just get to sit down and ramble bullshit about our lives. And <laughs> one thing I didn't mention on last time that we recorded was that I got to go to another wedding. Nice. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations to Katrina's sister Delina and her husband Matt, who got married in the last weekend of May. And actually a bonus shout out because Matt's sister and brother-in-law just had a baby a couple days ago. So congratulations. Very happy times. Yeah. So I do want to mention the wedding itself because it, they held the reception at the Coast Bastion in Nanaimo. Okay. Really, it was a nice hotel. It's right on the waterfront. Every time that Katrina and I ever stayed there, we always get a, a view of the ocean, of like the Inner Harbor and all that yep. stuff in Nanaimo. And I'm just like, man... If I won the lottery, I could live in a condo like that. Yeah. Just looking at the water and the boats and everything. That seems so cool. Yeah. Like living on the like living on the waterfront does seem pretty cool. It does seem really cool. Except the, you know, when the you know, eventually when the tsunami that fucking wipes out the island <laughs> that happens <laughs> and we're the first ones to get swept away. Just get a really tall. Get a really tall unit. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that would, how much that would work, but <laughs> what it is. But I do want to make one comment here about the wedding day. So Katrina was part of the wedding party, and so she got up really early because she had to go get her hair and her makeup done and everything. So I was As left they do. On, <clears throat> exactly. So I was left on my own. It was just okay, you know, just do your thing. Meet up with the. Um, the wife and one of the husbands of the bridesmaids and we'll meet you at the wedding, whatever. So, okay, cool. No problem. So in the morning I get a text. Hey Uh Taylor, can you go to the liquor store and get us crown Royal and sourpuss? What? For the bridesmaids. I guess they wanted to have, so they got these little, um, flasks. It was like for the bridesmaids and stuff that they were going to do a drink out of for them. Okay. They got like tall uh, glasses and all kinds of cool stuff that came with it. So anyway, so I got sent to go to the liquor store. Liquor store wasn't open, but she did send me another text saying, hey, can you go get us a funnel? So, you know, to funnel into the flask, right? Yeah. What I'm about to say will not surprise you in the slightest, given that you've known me for how many years. I read this text and my first thought for whatever reason was like, like a beer funnel, you know, like, like what are, like a beer, bong? like a beer bong. Yeah. It's like, um, um, okay. I mean, you know, you girls do you, I guess if you want to do some shots of sourpuss in the morning, like I'm not going to judge, but only a little. Exactly. Right. So I go and get them, get the liquor, put it in my backpack I bring it up to Delina's room that they're all getting their hair done. I knock on the door. One of her bridesmaids, I am going to go ahead and not name this person. Because I was so taken back by what she did to me. It was unbelievable. I've been, I was told this bridesmaid in particular, she's one of these people that has to make everything about her. Oh, no. One of those kind of people, you know who I'm, you know what kind of people I'm talking about, right, Tim? Like it's, and I will have to say, because I know how much that you were void for so much praise from me, 
this is where I got to give you praise when you and Chelsea had your guys' wedding. Because for the groomsmen, you picked five guys who, A, I don't know if, I know I had not met any of them. I don't know if any of them had met each other. I think, yeah, Sonny had met John and Hayden. Okay. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, so you have five guys. You have me, Sonny, John, our boy Anthony, Ed Liam. Ed Liam, yeah. You have five guys. There was no drama amongst any of us. We all had a great time. We were all there for you. Except, you know, I thought Sonny was kind of rubbing me the wrong way because he was needling you a bit. Oh, yeah, that's just what he does. I know, but for whatever reason, just because of how stressed you were, I was like, don't fucking do that. Don't do it, Sonny. And I was like, so anyway, and I was thinking about this when this happened. So I go up to the room, liquor and the funnels in my backpack. I knock on the door. Maybe two, three seconds later, the door opens. There's a bridesmaid standing in front of me. Doesn't say hello. Doesn't say anything to me. She just kind of has a resting bitch face. She looks at me and I go, oh, hey, how's it going? I hear my backpack with all the liquor. She just get, grabs my backpack, closes the door in my face. And I was like, neat. Okay. I'm not going to not gonna say what I'm thinking. I'm just going to walk away. So anyway, she turns around. Katrina asks, like, oh, who is that? And this lady goes, oh, yeah, it was your boyfriend with her liquor. And she just looks at her like, and you didn't say thank you or hello. You just slammed the door in his face. And she, Katrina was not happy about this. And then Delina came into the room. And I know that Katrina's probably listening to this through the other, in the other <laughs> room. She's like, that's not what happened. But so anyway, so Katrina... But this is the radio version of what happened. So it has to be more interesting. Exactly. Describe it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Katrina's given her shit about this. Delina asked what's going on. Katrina told her. And Delina goes really did you really have to do that to him because it was just like oh my god and the funny thing is is like i was sitting with one of the wives of the bridesmaids and the husbands and boyfriends or whatever yeah super nice guy this bridesmaid who i'm talking about i met her husband there and he's such a nice guy he and i were getting i was like yeah this is a really cool dude i realized who his wife was i was like oh don't uh, repeat what you're thinking, Day. Or he doesn't need to know. Exactly. Although do... if he blinks twice. Yeah. But here's the thing. Apparently this bridesmaid was so pissed that like she was basically pissing off the other bridesmaids and the bride. The next morning, she just up and fucked off. Oh. She didn't tell the bride. She didn't tell like uh, Katrina's mom or, any, or birth mom or anything. She just left. Her husband just left in the morning. And I was like... Were they supposed to, like, check in, or...? Well, no, just letting her know, like, hey, listen, it was great, whatever. Just just letting them know they were taken off. Yeah, okay, yeah. Because, like, I, yeah, all of my... All of my brow parties, like, yeah, like, they did it either the night before or you in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, I think that's very much common courtesy. Yep. To at least let you and Chelsea know, like, hey, we're gonna take off. Not just in the morning, just get their shit and they fuck off. That message sent, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, and, I, and it's funny because Katrina and I were talking about this when we got home that day. We were just like, you know, at least with Tim and Chelsea, at least they picked people that didn't try to make everything about them. Yeah. We no, we did well. For you and her. 
Yeah. Which was great. I will say, though, from what I understand and what I've been told, like this bridesmaid, I think she kind of strong-armed her way into being a bridesmaid because I guess Delina and Matt aren't really big fans of her, but they really like her husband. <laughs> they really like her husband and her kid, but not her. And she just goes, just oh god and then i guess because they're so close whatever they had to make her a bridesmaid and i'm thinking i'm like no no actually you didn't have to do this like and i was thinking i'm like dude like i want to get your honest take on here if one of us tried to do that you would at least have the balls to say yeah no you're not a groomsman yeah probably well i've been like i'll make my choice and uh, you will live with it <laughs> yeah but you also do a good job and you mentioned this on um, the day before your wedding, you're like, you know what? I have friends around me that don't cause me drama. Yeah. <laughs> like yours truly. I don't cause you drama. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't want, I don't want to deal with drama. So I just don't invite it. Yeah. There's no point, right? Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's really great that we got a chance to chat about what we've been up to over the last little while since we last recorded and so on and so forth. There is one more thing I do want to mention though, Tim. Yeah. So on this show, I've mentioned our bot Adam from Wellen. Mm-hmm. Great guy. So he he PM he uh, he DM'd me on Facebook, and it was a I don't know if it was a Facebook market ad or whatever thing he sent me. It was a signed Danny Heatley Atlanta Thrashers jersey. I looked at that and I was like, oh man, that's so cool! Like, can you imagine? Apparently, and even in the ad, it says. This is a rare signed jersey. Daddy Heatley doesn't sign Thrasher jerseys. Yeah. You know, naturally, obviously, what happened, right? And so I was thinking about this, and I was like, man, if I had that money, I 100% would pay for it. But it would be expensive because you're buying the jersey, and then you've got to get it shipped out here. Yeah. So at that point, it's like, it's not, is it really worth the investment to do this? And it made me think, out of... Say, is there a player on the Ottawa Senators or even a favorite player of yours in general? You go onto Facebook Marketplace or you see it on eBay or see it on one of these sites. If there's a signed jersey of one of theirs, what, okay, first of all, what would be the instant buy price for you? I think I, I don't think I could justify spending more than a grand. Okay. Okay, now, but here's the thing, though. A lot of, like, autographs and stuff like this, most of the time are not done by the player itself. No. Does that just, like, does that fact... Like, if it was done by the player itself and had, like, a certificate of authenticity, I might be able to go up to 1.5. 1,500? Yeah. Okay. Okay, like, give me an example. Is there a player off the top of your head, one of their jerseys come up, Maybe it's authentic. Maybe it's not authentic. Like a game, maybe a, like a game side Sevagoth Alfredson. Ooh, see, that would be cool. Now, are you talking the red one or are you talking the black? The black. Nice. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this when Adam sent me this. And I was trying to think, is there a player that I don't know if I would pay a grand myself? Just because... It would it would just sit on a wall. Yeah. That's all it would do, right? I mean, if if I was to buy a jersey and it was just a signed jersey, I'd be like, okay, cool. 
I've got the Radic Bonk signed jersey here. Yeah. To me, that's worth that's worth more than money because the Radic signed it right in front of me. Yeah. Like there's a story. Exactly. But I was trying to think who would I pay money for a signed jersey? The okay, so the Heatley jersey was 300 bucks. Yeah. That's a great price. 100%. I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think who I would pay. And I think I'm going to go Black Sanagoth, Marinosa. Ooh, that would be a good one. Yeah. It would have to be signed by him though. Yeah. Like he did it in front of me because yeah, if you just buy a, a signed Hosa jersey, it's not really worth much. It's just some guy probably just Right. Like, yeah, there's enough impersonators out there. There is. And even with shows like Pawn Stars and stuff like this, they've had people on the show who are like, like there was a signed Mark Andre Fleury jersey that came in, but like, okay, how can you tell this is one of his? And instead of getting like a guy who is like, oh yeah, you know, I can tell from this, they brought Mark Andre in. <laughs> <laughs> they went to the practice rink and got him to authenticate too. It'd be like, yeah, that's it. Right, because he's going to instantly recognize his own. Exactly. But generally, if you look inside the jerseys, there is like tags and whatever inside that is a big giveaway. Oh, right. Yeah. Because the players probably take the tags off. Exactly. But generally, if it's like a game-worn jersey, there would be something inside the jersey that would say game-worn like this date, whatever. Right. Actually, I do want to mention one cool thing before we actually get into the news stories, because we do got a lot to talk about, is so a couple of weeks ago, my dad texted me in the morning. It was a image. I looked at the phone. I said, okay, I opened it. One of the guys he worked with brought in a signed Bobby Ryan sends picture. Yo, that's hype. And left it on his desk for me. Nice. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. Because I was like, man, I got to put this on the wall. I don't have it right now. Hopefully I'll get it this weekend. But but yeah, I was like, that's really cool. I do live by the by rule of thumb, though. Like if you go to like a a yard sale or you go to like say a value village or whatever, if you see any signed pictures of players, regardless of whether the player was good, bad, or indifferent, it's kind of cool to hold get. Yeah. No, that is really cool. It is really cool. Now, Tim, I know that we've spent all this time talking about ourselves and all kinds of stuff. There has been a few news stories that's happened since we last recorded. The big news story we need to talk about the Ottawa Senators' ownership situation has officially come to an end. Little, It was over 48 hours ago at the time of this recording. The Ottawa Senators reached an agreement with businessman Michael Andlauer to become owner of the Senators. It took its sweet time, but it also got a billion dollars. $975 million. I'm surprised that it did take this long and it almost feels like no offense to the Sparks group, no offense to our boy Snoop, but it feels like they were kind of dragging it out so that the Sparks bid could somehow find a way to match. Yeah. And you know, what's funny Tim, for all of the 
chatter about Ryan Reynolds and about Snoop Dogg and the Neo Nico Sparks bid and all that stuff. Ultimately, what did it really come down to for the Senators as an owner? You know what they needed? An owner with money and an owner that wants to win. Michael Andlauer is that owner. Right. So from the chatter around the team, it sounds, or at least from the media that still exists around the team, it sounds like it'll take a few months for all the sale to work itself out. It has to go through Board of Governors. Andlauer has to sell his portion of the Montreal Canadiens. So we probably won't see any changes to the front office or even probably even coaching until September. So Pierre Dorian's here, at least for the summer. Yeah. And same with DJ Smith. And we'll talk a little bit about names that have been attached to this, but you know, for me, Michael Andlauer is one of these Andlauer, sorry. He's one of these guys that everything I've ever heard about him, because I, I know nothing about this guy. Everything you hear about him is positive. That's rare. Because Michael Andlauer is one of these guys, he's got connections to minor league hockey in Hamilton. He's Mm. also the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs of the Ontario Hockey League. I think he won a Memorial Cup or he won a championship with them. And he seems very passionate, but he seems all in on the Sens and the city of Ottawa because it's been reported he's now moving to Ottawa as well. Okay, you'll love to see it. It's not one of these things like with Eugene where... Eugene bought the team, but Eugene wasn't living in Ottawa. Yeah, no, he, he fucked off to Barbados. Barbados. Yeah, so like I'm really happy to see that. Uh, and it's good to have an owner in the city who cares. Well, admittedly, like Eugene Melnick cared, but it's good to have a guy local. Very much so. And from what I've heard about his dealings with the uh, like in Hamilton with the hockey team, is that he's going to do everything in his power to make this team work. But because our hockey operations department is so small, one of the big things he's going to do is beef that up. That's good. From what I hear, he's very into analytics. He's very much into everything, trying to build a successful team. And that's stuff that fans have really pushed the Ottawa Senators to invest in. Have an analytics department, have a player of, or have a president of hockey operations, have all of these things. So you have to imagine with $975 million, he's not going to be a passive owner. He's going to go, okay, we're going to beef this up, do this, do that, this, this, and this. Because he wants to see this team succeed. But he also, this is not a real estate deal. This is not a, yeah, I'm just in it for glory. Yeah. He 100% wanted to own an NHL franchise. Which, that's awesome. But I know that even Ian Mendez was on the Coming In Hot podcast, I think this past week, or sorry, the last couple of days. And even he and Brent were talking about Michael. And they said, what are the big things that he's really doing? He's trying to rebuild the bridges with every sector in the city. That's politically, that's with the fan base. That's with the media. That's even with the local businesses because one of the owner or one of the minority owners is Jeff York for farm. Yeah. Good farm boy. But no, that, that is what they need to do. 
yeah, it, it is a shame that it did take so long to get to this point. But you know what? I'm just how we felt last summer with Giroux coming in with the Debrinket trade with everything that was going on, the excitement that we felt as a fan base. This is almost matching it right now. Cause here you have a guy who's all in, he wants to win and all the pieces are in place right now to win. And we just haven't had that in who knows how long. Yeah. Now, sticking with the Ottawa Senators, Tim, we got to talk about Alex Debrinkit because this is another thing that has been in the media cycle. Will Alex Debrinkit stay? Will he go? It has been reported that Alex Debrinkit is choosing not to resign with the Senators. Right. But also, like, it feels like a negotiation in the media. So we, the Sens have, as of 10 hours ago of this recording, taken Alex Debrinkat to arbitration. So who knows? We could wake up one morning, they have an eight by eight, and Alex Debrinkat is suddenly very happy to, to be in Ottawa now that he can find uh, the food items he was looking for. Like, who knows? The whole thing with Debrinkat is... And this is something Bobby Ryan even talked about on the Coming In Hot podcast. Two factors have really played into this. One from the team and one from Alex. The team-wise, they have capped how much money they really want to spend on a player. Because when your captain is getting paid 8.3 and Tim Stutz is getting paid in 8.3, Alex Debrinkett's not going to get paid over this. And one of the big reasons is because on the Ottawa Senators, he's a top six player. On a lot of other teams, he would be a top line player. For sure. Yeah, it would be good to see if he, I would like him to say, but if he doesn't, hopefully we can get something for him. It's not going to be, yeah, it's going to be a matter of if he'll stay, right? And for me, okay, if he's fully committed at saying, listen, I want to be closer to my family. I want to be a top line guy. I want to do all this stuff. The Ottawa senators, this is not like the senators for four or five years ago, where you look at the roster and we're not in a position to do this. Well, yeah. yes, it would suck to trade at Alex to You can at least make a trade with a team that makes sense for both sides. A big yeah. need for the senators right now is in goal. A name that's been floating around here is Carter Hart. The that's, only thing that yeah. the only thing that scares me off is that whole thing with the 2018 Hockey Canada stuff that still hasn't come out. Yeah, because I don't want to make a trade, and I, I'm not insinuating that Carter Hart was involved with this. I don't want to make a deal where to break it goes to Philadelphia, Carter comes here, and then it comes out Carter was involved. Yeah, yeah, nope, I'm fair with that. I've also heard uh, Ella Buck's name attached to the Senators, but it'll. Depend what Winnipeg's asking. I'm here, and of course, cap management. I hear the price tag for him is pretty high, though, too. Oh yeah. Well, it's sort of like Carlson too. Like the price tag is high, and no one has space. If you're Pierre Doran, would you go? You hundred percent would go after Hellebuck, correct? I'd at least kick the tires. Yeah, I think for me it would come down to because he's he's got one more year left on his contract. It's going to be. Does he want to come to Ottawa and does he want to resign? Because he's in his peak prime right now. Yeah. 
you get Connor Hellebach on this team, we're in the playoffs. Oh, no question. Like the biggest problem last year was just the complete gong show at goal. You know, it, it would suck if Alex Debrinkit does leave, but unfortunately, again, he's a second line player on this team. But the Senators surprisingly have not been a great fit for him, how he plays the game. Yeah. Well, what's weird though is he had a very he had a very strong season in his own right. Yeah. Including probably one of his best seasons as a playmaker. So I was very happy with Alex Debrinkit's. Yeah, me too. Play in Ottawa. His finishing was colder than usual. Yeah, but it also comes down to he's a player that when he was with Patrick Kane scores on the on the on the play. To be fair, though, Alex Debrinkit was also dragging Patrick Kane's corpse around. Because did you see how bad Patrick Kane was without Alex Debrinkit? Yes. Like, just absolutely useless. Yeah, but could you imagine if you had Debrinkit playing with, a like, a Stutzla all year? Kind of sad that line didn't work out. Yeah. Well, they didn't try it very long, but... It is true. But then again, the Josh Brady... Drake line didn't do much either. I understand Josh well, was in. Josh too, was gone, but, yeah. <laughs> but when he was healthy, it was kind of cold. Yeah. Although it was interesting that the uh the line that they fashioned with uh Batherson, Josh Norris, and Deprinkit for the very short time was together was very good. Let's just hope Josh Norris is healthy for next year. Oh, me too, man. I love Josh Norris. That guy's great. So a story that I just included into the story for this episode, Tim, and it's one that I can't believe I didn't include. Now, if you recall a while ago, I was talking about ESPN's E60. The E60 is a great documentary sort of show that they do. They recently dropped a trailer for an episode called Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. Okay. And it's about the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Kind of interesting. It was a story that you really wouldn't think much about for like that kind of documentary, correct? Yes. Because, but then you think more about it. You're like, okay, this is an NHL franchise that was owned by Disney. This was based off a movie of the same, of the name, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Okay, it seems fascinating that I would I'd be interested in this because that was a part of the first wave of the NHL expanding. But what's really cool about the documentary, and I haven't got a chance to watch it yet, which also pisses me off because I did one on the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry, and I still haven't seen that either because it's not on Disney Plus up here. I swear, if I have to torrent it, I'm <laughs> not very happy, but... We're talking about Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. I think it's really cool that they brought in a lot of the old legends. Like Obviously, they bring yeah. back Timo Solani, Jay Shiger, Paul Korea, Names like this. One guy that really surprised me that they got him, former Disney CEO Michael Eisner. Well, I'm glad they did because like, I remember reading in uh, Bruce Firestone's book about how instrumental Eisner was to bring in the Ducks to Ivanheim. Yeah. Well, it was really cool because 
even the Honda Center, like it was built before Anaheim had a team. So that's really, really cool. And for me, I always was very fascinated about hearing Eisner's point of view when it came to the Ducks because he was very, very much into it. He was at all the meetings. He was at everything for those games. But one thing they really factored in and focused on was what financial decisions Disney made with the Mighty Ducks and why they made the decisions. Because a lot of people tend to forget that at the time of their ownership of the Mighty Ducks, they were also the owners of the Anaheim Angels baseball team. Mm -hmm. Which in 2002, they won a World Series. They may have lost, I think the numbers, I think they lost like 90 or $100 million on the Angels that year. Well, they won it. They won it. They were bleeding money on the Angels. I can only imagine what they were bleeding on the Ducks. Right, because the du- the Ducks went to, in 03, the Ducks went to Stanley Cup, finals. Stanley Cup Finals, yeah. And I think it was just after the name change that they won. Yeah, it was when the Samuelis came in, bought the team, changed the name, changed the colors, brought in Chris Pronger, and won the Cup. Yeah, bastard. But we don't talk about that Stanley Cup, do we? No, not at all. No. Now, one factor... One, sorry, one figure about the 2003 Anaheim Mighty Ducks that we need to talk about next, Mike Babcock. As you recall, Tim, back in 2019, Mike Babcock lost his job with the Toronto Maple Leafs. For good reason. For good reasons. Now, I can't recall if I mentioned this at the time. I know I mentioned this when talking about the Kyle Beach situation and Joel Quenville. I says, you watch. You watch as this is out of the media news cycle and all that stuff dies down you watch as the nhl gives these guys another chance the yeah. columbus blue jackets have figured four years later it's time to possibly give mike babcock a chance to return to the nhl as a head coach yeah well i would have preferred they have a public apology attached to it first for the fucker he was doing at least do that you know part of me really wants to be mad and upset that they're bringing mike babcock back into the fold but again it goes back to what i said the nhl and sports in general truly do not give a fuck about goodwill if you really break it down if they really gave a fuck about goodwill michael vick would have never come back to the nfl you would have had Ray Lewis not in the NFL. You would have had all these athletes never come back. Yeah. Now, there's a difference. Michael Vick has done strides for dogfighting and everything after he's gotten out of prison. Ray Lewis has never committed the crime. All that kind of stuff, right? But when you have stuff like Mike, Mike Babcock that's been confirmed, and players I... have opened open and come out about it, how can you justify to give this guy another chance? Without him, like, stepping up and doing something to actually try and redeem himself first, yeah. Yeah. Like, I believe in second chances, but I also believe in penance. You have to do something to make it right. Yeah, like Michael Vick. Like Michael Michael Vick, yeah. got out of jail, got back in the NFL, and he's done so much work for dogfighting. But what has Mike Babcock done to deserve this? Nothing. Or at least nothing publicly. 
Like he may have apologized to Mitch Marner for what he did as a rookie. But what about what he's done to guys like Mike Madano and Jason Spezza and Mike Commodore? Guys like this. Where's their apology? Where's their apology when he scratched Spezza in his first game as a league against the Sens? Where was his apology to Mike Madano for scratching him so he missed a thousand games? Where's his apology for fucking Mike Commodore over? Yeah. Johan Franzen has been openly saying that he's one of the worst humans he's ever met. I mean, what can you say at this point, man? So we're going to move away, Tim. I'm talking about Mike Babcock because we're actually going to talk about the Montreal Canadiens for a second because, you know, earlier in this episode, we're talking about Michael Adlauer, who is the minority owner of the Habs. The Habs actually made a really nice signing in the last couple of days. Yeah. Last week or so. Cole Caulfield. Eight-year extension, 7.85 per. This is going to be a nice contract. That's going to be a great contract. Yeah. Cole Caulfield can continue to develop and become a star player in Montreal. That's going to be Montreal's version of the Stutzla contract right there. That's a great deal for Montreal. I'm going to give them that. Cole Caulfield, he looked way better under Martin Saint-Louis than he did under Dominique Ducharme. And as he gets older, his defensive game will come along. So, yeah. That is a very good contract. If you're a Habs fan, I mean, you have to be pretty excited about the future that this team has, especially when you have Caulfield's locked up long-term. You got Nick Suzuki, who's a great player. I mean, sure, you got some other guys in the system, like uh, Arbor Jackeye, which I'm not a fan of. I think Arbor Jackeye is a stopgap. But then, uh, like, RB Pinard actually seems like a quality player. They're going to continue building. But the nice thing about the Habs is that at least they have a management team and a head coach that at least has an idea of what they're going to do. This is not like when they had Mark Bergevin and you questioned what exactly was the direction of this team. Yeah. No, this definitely seems like a team that has an idea of where they're going. Well, even just like that really... Really good pickup of Sean Monahan. Yeah, that's a deal that worked out both for both teams. Calgary gets out of that contract, and Monahan was at least salvageable. Yeah, he was not bad in Montreal. So we're going to move away from talking about a signing and talk about a trade, Tim, because there was a three team trade that happened involving the Philadelphia Flyers, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Columbus Blue Jackets, with the big name being Ivan Provolov heading to Columbus. So this really signals the change in direction of Danny Briere's Philadelphia Flyers. Because this is a blow-it-up move. Yeah, which is something that's been needed in Philadelphia. Oh, for sure. And yeah, it just hasn't been good for Provorov as a, as a first-line defense player in Philadelphia in the last few years. The puck's not going the right way. He's not been great on the power play. And... In Columbus, he'll probably be a one-two tweener, which might fit his skill set a little better. Yeah. Well, it's going to help because he's going to get a pretty solid defense partner in Damon Severson as well. Yeah. Which, is that an overpay? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say because with 
Severson in New Jersey, he was playing with a really good team. Yeah. He's going to a downgrade in Columbus. For sure. Although this does make the $4 million contract on Eric Branson just ridiculous. Yeah, I I don't know about that contract still. That's just bad. Yeah, it's just bad is all you can say about it. And Ivan Provorov at uh, 4.7 mil. Can't really argue with that. Yeah. Well, it's nice that he's at least going to get a change of scenery, especially in Columbus where the fans, unlike Philadelphia, are not going to be all over him every single night. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So let's move along, Tim, and talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs because they have a new assistant for Brad Trad Living or Brad Tree Living joining them. Former Arizona Coyotes captain Shane Doan. That's I find that surprising. You know, the only thought I have on Shane Doan joining the Maple Leafs. This is less to do with the Leafs and more to do with the Coyotes. Because I don't, there's a guy on Twitter, I think it's Arizona Sports Guy, I think he follows us on Twitter as well. He made a comment about Shane Doan. He says, I will believe the Coyotes are leaving when Shane Doan leaves. That signal the Coyotes are dead. When Shane Doan just says, no, Fuck I'm it. done. Well, it's like, that are the no vote in Tempe was a killer. Yeah, I know Yearning Tree put out a video today about that, and he says this is less to do with the people of Tempe. This has to do with the Coyotes. That has yeah. all to do with that team because, and you know me, I'm a very, I am a non, a fairly non-traditional hockey fan in the sense like I welcome expansion teams, I welcome the teams in the South, all that stuff. Hey, we're talking about two of them tonight. Exactly. But you know what I think a lot of people don't factor in? When people go, oh, you know, Arizona doesn't work and all that stuff. It's like, what have the Coyotes really done to embrace to get the locals to embrace them? Like your like your name tree mentions, for every Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars that succeeds out of the gate, you have your teams like your Nashville Predators, like your Carolina Hurricanes, that struggle out of the gate but find their footing never have i seen well it's been a long time since we've seen a team as big of a basket case as the arizona coyotes the difference is is teams like kansas city got shuffled out in quick order in cleveland yeah it's like the problem is is like the platonic ideal of having the coyotes work so good then it just doesn't. No. And I don't believe that it falls on the state of Arizona, the people of Phoenix, Glendale, Tempe, whatever. It's the team's not good. The, and the team's been unstable for years. Yep. The team, and then like the move out to Glendale was dumb. Yeah. No, this really signified that the Arizona Coyotes are done. Like, honestly, this was a team that 15 years ago, this should have ended. Yeah. They should have just sent, sent them back to Winnipeg. Yep. But then again, it's like, where do you, 
if they move, where do you think they go? You know what? And it's funny you mentioned that because there is a couple of cities that have been mentioned. Salt Lake City has been mentioned, which kind of surprised me. I didn't think that Utah would really be interested in NHL hockey. Houston's been a big one. Milwaukee has been one. Kansas City has been oh, when when you get the endorsement of Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> that's a big sign that maybe there's something there. Maybe there's, there's something there, yeah. Exactly. There's so many markets you can do. I mean, I would say you could even put it in, say, a Sacramento because they have a brand new arena for the Sacramento Kings. Now, I don't know if the Golden One Center is only basketball. Basketball, yeah. That's going to be a hard one. It's like when you you were on the island, you and I were talking about uh, the San Jose Sharks. I mentioned, say if the city of San Jose and the Sharks are trying to get a new arena, the city can be like, yeah, no. If the city told them no, the Sharks could go to them and be like, okay, you can tell us no, but uh, you know that city, San Francisco, across the bay? Across the, you know, Oakland. You know, it's got that brand new arena with the Golden State Warriors in there. It's got built, maybe we can go there. Have you considered uh, the Golden State Sharks? But uh, yeah, so like there's that. Houston is just another massive city and you would have a built-in rivalry with Dallas. Yep. And you would have a history with hockey. Right. They've had every kind of hockey league in Houston, except for the NHL. Right, because the the Houston Arrows are there. there. The AHL was there. I'm sure sure the IHL or ECHL was there at one time. Houston Arrows of the AHL are there. Yep. Yeah, no, it's a proven concept. There's a lot of places they could go. It's just time to pull the plug. As funny as Mullet Arena is. I know. You know, I would love to see a still, I still love to see a game at Mullet Arena. Just to say that I went to a game at Mullet Arena. Yeah, no kidding. So we got a couple of hirings to talk about. Now, Tim, we got to talk about the Calgary Flames to kick it off. Ryan Huska, new Flames head coach. Thoughts? I like that they're going with someone who is yet to be a head coach in the NHL. See what you got. And it sounds, and it sounds like Calgary has really been lately focused on bringing people up through the Calgary system because Huska is also coached a lot within the Flames organization. Yeah, well, especially when you see Craig Conroy becoming general manager. It just came out today that Jerome McGinley is going to be joining them as well in a managerial role. That's going to be great. Yeah, we love it. We do. Now we're going to f- close off the stories by talking about the New York Rangers because they have hired... Peter Laviolette as their new head coach. I forgot the Laviolette got fired. <laughs> so did I. So I guess the Rangers are making it to either the conference finals or the Stanley Cup finals to lose next year. No, I think that's Peter DeBoer, isn't it? I think that's the Laviolette does that too. Yeah, he does. He does. Peter Laviolette's one of these guys, like as a coach, he does seem like a good coach. But he has a shelf life. Yeah. The last recent couple of stops, you really notice that he's a very good coach, but maybe more in the short term than long term. Yeah. I'm still a little surprised they fired uh, Gerard Gallant, but seeing how players just weren't developing, maybe that was the right choice. 
Yeah, but how much of that is, and again, it always goes back to what we've always talked about, Tim. It's how much of it is the development of the players versus who they have on in the roster. Mm-hmm. When you have a couple Kako and Alexei Lafreniere, how do these guys play top line minutes when you have a Kreider, <laughs> Panarin, guys like that in the lineup? And then you bring in Patrick Kane, Tarasenko. Yeah. So how how do you how do you even develop these guys? This has always been a problem with the Rangers going back 25, 30 years. That's true. Because like I said, you think the Montreal Canadiens are bad when it comes to developing players? Oh, buddy. <laughs> have you looked at some of those uh, draft picks the Rangers have made that never panned out for them? Like, I guess they are the worst original six team for a reason with their one Stanley Cup. Four? Four. Okay, so four? not many. I think they have three in the original six and 94. I think that was it. Right. So they have one real Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you see teams like the Islanders and the Devils that have like seven combined the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, all right. Yeah. yeah you do you, boo. <laughs> Oh, oh my oh my oh yes well tim that wraps up the stories which can mean only one thing it's time to talk about the 2023 stanley cup final between the number one seed in the pacific division vegas gold knights and the second wild card florida panthers again for the vegas gold knights this is their first appearance in the final since their expansion year for florida the first appearance since 1996 the year of the rat so let's quickly talk about the finals as a whole for a very untraditional final matchup that could have been great. Am I the only one who thinks that was just kind of a dud? Well, I remember we were talking about this and we were both like, this has the potential to be very good, but I had that sinking feeling that we were going to see a dud. And what I thought was go- could happen happened where... One the goal the goaltending faltered, but admittedly, Florida's defensive coverage just fell apart at the end there. And Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk got injured. Did you see the interview or whatever his comment he made today about because Brady is staying with him? That Brady had to help him out of bed, get him dressed. Players had to help him get his jersey and gear on. Like yeah. that's wild. Oh my god, like the shit that these players go through. And people honestly wonder why they're doing like coke and pills and stuff to numb this pain. Yeah. Cause why are you even playing like that? Yeah. Because like game Matthew Kachuk game four. He like he was instrumental to that win. Oh man. Maybe he shouldn't have been on the ice. Yeah. Well, even when it came out that he had a broken sternum that's the one that got me because you know when you have your sternum if you get sorry i'm game three game three yeah if you get punched in the sternum you get winded yeah imagine what happens if you broke that yeah no that's wild like how do you breathe it's ridiculous for the pain and suffering that they go through but that like game one was 
probably the best game of the series. Game one and game three. And then there were just three games where like, all right, this is happening. It was like, let's be perfectly, like, honestly, and I don't want to detract from what Jonathan Marshall did in these playoffs. He was fantastic, but the most valuable player was Matthew Kachuk. Just look how useless Florida was without him. You know when what? he was off the ice for when he was off the ice for misconducts, Florida was flat. When he wasn't in game he wasn't in game five, Florida gives up nine goals. It's it's almost like game five really was that Simpsons quote of stop, stop, he's already, already dead. dead. Like, yeah, like I remember I I first saw the game, it was one nothing Vegas, and Florida was like kind of still with it, not really. And then I went away, did something else, looked at it, 7-3. I'm like, oh, that game. Sorry, 7-1. And I was like, that game is over. Yeah. Well, Tim, with that being said, are you ready to talk about the five games that we need to talk about tonight between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers? Yeah, let's do her. All right. Now, before we do that, Tim, I think we got one thing we got to take care of before we do this. Uh Uh-huh. Let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. (laughs) Okay, Tim, let's start talking about game one of the 2023 Stanley Cup Finals. This is a 5-2 Vegas Golden Knights victory. Panthers goals are scored by Eric Stahl and Anthony Duclair. Vegas goals are scored by Jonathan Marshall. Shea with Theodore, Zach Whitecloud, Mark Stone, and Riley Smith. Shots for 35-33 for Florida. First comment I really want to make, Tim. Yep. Aiden Hill with the save of the playoffs, robbing Nick Cousins on the goal. And that's a save. When you watch that in real time, give like, one of two thoughts. Wow. Either how did he do that or did that hit the post? Like that save was ridiculous. Just enough to just. It really reminded me of, if you recall the save J.S. Shiger made on Marin Gabrick in the 2003 Western Conference Finals. That was very much that save. Like, just insane. And like, you know, Barkov had to be shaking his head. Oh my God, I know. All he had to do was just get it over that stick. That's all he had to do. Nope. But then Aiden Hill just, he flew across that net, too. He did. He's a big guy, too. Ah. Right? So he's got a lot of net to cover. Yes, it's like, that was probably a high, yeah, save of the playoffs. 100% was the save of the playoffs. And unfortunately, we can't say the same about Sergei Bobrovsky because, you know, despite having that 879 save percentage, you know me, I always play the devil's advocate. I would say the Marshall goal, that was on him. Yeah, but there's not much you can do when shots are going through traffic. No, like the Theodore and White Cloud goals were mostly due to just bad coverage. They're getting it. They get in. They hit off a guy who's screening. Who's screening Bobrovsky? That Mark Mark Stone should not have been allowed to get where he was for that slot shot goal. Okay, I do want to quickly ask about this. Do you think that was a high stick? No. 
that was a one that was I was very on the fence. But again, how many times did we see Mark Stone and Ottawa do a play like this? Exactly. Like, it might be borderline, but I think it was fine. Yeah. Well, there's a difference. There's a difference between this and this. Exactly. And it was more like this. But then again, he's kind of on an, on an angle too, right? So Yeah. So, like, it was below his shoulder below and still below the net line. So it was fine. I do want to make a really cool comment here about game one, Tim. And I actually screenshotted this from front office sports game. One of the Stanley cup fire, excuse me, game one of the Stanley cup final average 2.8 million viewers in the United States, making it the most watched opening game on cable in 21 years. Oh, wow. 21 years. That would put us to 2002. That's the ducks one, right? Uh, no, that would be 2002 is Detroit, Detroit, Carolina. Right. Dang, that's incredible. It was incredible. And I actually want to make a comment about Anthony Duclair because it was one of those, at that point when he scored, it was still anybody's game. Yeah. It wasn't until really when Mark Stone scored that the game was over. Pretty much. And how many times in this series could you say that? As soon as Mark Pretty Stone much, scored, it was over. I would have to say every game. Actually, no. Game three, Mark Stone scored and they lost. Game yeah. five, 100%. Game five. That's when I knew Florida was done. Mark Stone opens the scoring. The game's over. Yeah. So, Tim, do you want to head off and talk about game two? Yeah, let's do her. Okay. Game two, this is a 7-2 Vegas Golden Knights victory. Panthers goals are scored by Anton Lundell and Matthew Duchuk. Vegas goals are scored by Jonathan Marshall with two, Brent Howden with two, Alec Martinez, Nicholas Waugh, and Michael Amadio. Sens legend. I completely forgot about him, by the way. <laughs> he only played five games for us, but still, I forgot about him. The shots were 31-28 for the Panthers. And let me tell you, Tim... Wow. In all the years I've ever watched hockey, have you ever seen a hit like Matthew Duchuk on Jack Eichel? No. Have you ever seen a guy get hit like that? And look and so then come unfazed. back. <laughs> he didn't even look like it phased him. He's just like, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. He, he looked more mad than anything else. I'm amazed he didn't break his right leg. Remember how yeah. like, he kind of came to a pause and the leg was like this and his whole weight fell on it. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little surprised that wasn't a chart like a two minute charging penalty. But they never call charging, so Yeah. Cause like yeah, Matthew Kachuk came off the bench with the intent to do that hit, which is that's shitty. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, this was just such a hard hitting game from start to finish. And it was a game that honestly I didn't I I watched it, but I kinda sorta didn't watch it. You know, for games when it's just a blowout, it's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, and after about two minutes, sorry, about five minutes into the second period, when it was four nothing, Bobrovsky gets switched. Bobrovsky gets the, he really got the mercy pull because man, Florida's defense just let everything and everything at Bobrovsky. Yeah, it's it's a real shame about Sergey Bobrovsky in this series. While the defense was not great, he didn't exactly help himself on this. No. And then Alex Leon, Alex Leon wasn't much better. No. 
No, like you... as much as I want to give Sergei Bobrovsky a benefit of doubt, you're not winning a game, and it's probably your fault if you have a point seven save percentage. No, as much as we no, I know that we just mentioned the Matthew Dechuk Eichel and Jack Eichel. There's a flip side to this coin, Tim. Ivan Barbashev on Rattle Gudis. That was big. You know what the, both of these hits reminded me of is remember in NHL '94 with the uh, yeah those hits. That's the sound effect. That's it. Uh, ooh. Yeah, like I'm a little again a little surprised that Barbashev didn't get a penalty. Yeah, because that was a little high. It was really high. I do want to quickly ask him, what is your honest thoughts on Vegas's gold jerseys? They're nice. I like them. This is where I am more of a traditional hockey fan. I don't like them. Well, I guess I also liked the Chrome Dome. You do like the Chrome Dome. I I got this. But I think for me, it's that, and you know where I stand when it comes to yellow and orange and those kind of colors as a primary color. Yeah. You know where I stand with Philadelphia. You certainly know where I stand on Nashville. <laughs> Vegas is no different. Yeah, I I, I think I like most of the... I like the Flyers jersey. I, I really do. The Flyers jersey is classic. I just... I don't care for it. I like their black one, though. The black and the orange. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. I don't like the uh, the numbering on the back, though. That's the only right. thing, but... but... This is also a game where just Jonathan Mascherschult was dominant. Along with Mark, I'm actually kind of impressed that Mark Stone didn't get a goal in this game. Guy didn't miss the net. No, and that's something that you got to emphasize in this series, right? Is that how many times when you look at the score sheet, does it say Mark Stone scores? Yeah, so Bob Roski and Leon keeping uh, Stone off the goal ledger was pretty impressive. Let's talk about game three. This is a three to two Panthers victory. Vegas Gold Knights were scored by Mark Stone and Johnson Marshall. Panthers scores were scored by Brandon Montour, Matthew Chuck, and Carter for Heggy. Shots were 27 23 for the Panthers. Huge bounce back game for Sergey Borowski in this one. Yeah, he, he played exactly as well as he needed to, and he probably stole a goal for Vegas. Sorry, stole a goal from Vegas. But at the same time, the floor, Florida just looked way better with the exception of that 15 minutes where Matthew Kachuk was out of commission. Because for like most of that third period, it looked like Vegas was going to cruise to the sweep. 2-1 went like 2-1. Vegas just keeping Florida out in the neutral zone. No no worthwhile shots whatsoever. Matthew Kachuk comes in for those last five minutes, scores on scores with the Florida net pulled. Sorry, scores with the Florida goalie pulled. You can almost say that Sergey Bobrovsky took a cue from that reporter in Vegas after Game Two, but <laughs> team to victory. I gotta say, I love that clip. I don't know, I can't recall who it was. If she was a Vegas reporter or not. She's doing a stand-up piece. And a drunk Golden Knights fan tries to get in the shot. And she's talking like, yeah, about the Golden Knights. And she's like pushing the guy out of the shot. And I remember I, 
and I posted it in our in my fantasy football thread. I says, which NFL team needs a running back? Is that's a great <laughs> stiff arm. That's a stiff arm that makes Derrick Henry proud. The interesting thing about this game was uh, the Duclair, like it was probably the only game where the top Florida won the top line battle with the Barkov line demolishing the Eichel line. We didn't really see that in any of the other games. I do going to make one comment here before we head off into game four. For the Florida Panthers, this was their very first win in the Stanley Cup final. A lot of people tend to forget this because in 1996, they were swept. They almost got swept in this one. That would be embarrassing. That, Although not as embarrassing as the Carolina Hurricanes having three sweeps in the Eastern Conference finals. Yeah. Because at least Florida got to the final. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but like this game, it was it was a weird game because it was like Vegas was very dominant. But then you just had Matthew Kachuk heroics. Yeah. Let's talk about, actually, let's talk about Matthew for a second here, Tim, because, you know, it came out after the playoffs that he had a broken sternum and four cracked ribs. It really hurt when I was reading his comment there today that came out because Brady is staying with him right now. Mm hmm that Brady had to help him out of bed, help him get dressed. He then goes to the rink and the guys have to help him tie his skates and get his jersey on. That's incredible. Holy shit. You know, with all this criticism that people have for players, like, oh, you know, you make millions of dollars. How can you be doing coke and pills and all kinds of stuff? Look at what they go through. Yeah. Like, it's actually wild. Like, I stub my toe and I'm like, oh, man, I think I might have to skip work today. This guy breaks his fucking sternum. And he's like, oh, I think it's broken. I'll still play, though. Yeah, put me in, coach. And it's like, also reading that, like, Aaron, Ek it was Aaron Ekblad had, like, a broken leg, broken arm, like, tweaked hip. It's like, why are you putting these guys on the ice? Are they really better than like one of your black aces? Yeah, I couldn't even tell you who their black ace is right now. Yeah. Is it Michael Delzato? Dude, uh, what, can you imagine if Uncle Deli gets in the playoffs? Yeah. It'd be like Steven Stamkos a couple years ago. Remember when he came back for one game, scored on the first <laughs> shot, and then bowed out? Oh, that was so funny. So good, man. So good. Michael Delzato. Uh, he's with the Ducks right now. Okay, so he clearly wouldn't have been. Was in not. I remember he got signed by the Panthers. By the Panthers. He didn't even play a game of the Panthers organization. Uh, he played for the Charlotte Checkers, and then he got traded and played 40 games with the Gulls. Your favorite AHL team. Everyone's favorite. Exactly. Game four, this is a 3-2 to two Vegas Golden Knights victory. Vegas goals were scored by Chandler Stevens in the two and William Carlson. Panthers goals were scored by Brandon Montour and Sasha Barkov. Shots were 31 even. Now, our good friend John Hill, also known as that Solar Bears fan, was at this game. That must have been an experience. Yeah, I mean, he had to witness that first goal scored on Bobrovsky in person. Even Sergei Bobrovsky, after he scored, you could just tell he's like, "Are oh, you got to be effing kidding me?" 
it's a bit of a shame that Chandler Stevenson didn't get the hat trick in this game. This is a game where Florida's defense looked a little better, but Vegas played hard. You can argue that the refing was the opposite of the previous game where in game three, they were calling every little thing. After the Colasar hit this game, they just let everything go with Florida not getting a power play until the last two minutes of the game. I got to admit, this is probably the only game where I really have no notes because I didn't get a chance to sit down and watch it. I condensed it, but... It was definitely a game where Florida had to come out harder than they did. Yeah. And Vegas just... They got that early advantage with Stevenson scoring two, then William Carlson quickly potting one, and then just coasted. And Florida let him. And there was no... uh, Matthew Kachuk heroics. If anything, I can't believe the Matthew Kachuk even dressed for this game. Actually, sorry, I do have one comment to make on Game Three. Is that Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Puvalinga? I think that's yep. I don't even know how to really fully pronounce that guy's last name, but he was in the house as was Dan Marino. Dan Marino, let's go. That's a that's a name. That's a name. Oh my god, remember that episode of The Simpsons where he's on? He goes, Great spiral, Daniel. <laughs> Man, that hurts. He puts his arm in a fucking ice. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I don't know. I think the Troy Aikman part was still the best. So Ned, do you like dune buggies? <laughs> and now we come to the fifth and final game of the Stanley Cup final. This was a 9-3 Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup winning game. Play the clip. Well, first of all, I think we need to go through the score. Lighter, Tim. Okay. okay. Panthers scored a score by Aaron Eckblad, Sam Reinhart, and Sam Bennett. Vegas Golden Knights scored by Mark Stone with the hat trick. Look, okay, you're right. Does it even really matter anymore? Sorry, you're selling Mark Stone short here. Mark Stone with four goals. No. Stone yeah, he has two in the first and two in the third. He got two in the third? I thought he only scored three. According to hockey, according to hockey viz, he's got three. Sorry, he's got four. Right. Oh, oh, does Mika just wait, let me count these. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He has three. Okay, there's a there's a bug on hockey viz where Mark Stone has two on All the right. same goal. But yes, Mark Stone with the hat trick. And you're absolutely right. I don't need to read any of this. Just play the clip. Stop! <laughs> He's already dead. Seriously, once this game was 4-1, I stopped paying attention. I'm surprised they left Bobrovsky in, but there really was no point in bringing in uh, Alex Leon. No, that clip just perfectly summed it up. And you know what? You, you and I were talking about before we hit record on this segment. Did we use the clip in game two or use it for game five? We both agreed game five is the better one. It's funny because uh, we were out with Chelsea's lab on uh, Tuesday night. And one of the women in her lab plays on the Korean national women's hockey team. And we were talking about this game. And I told her it was 7-1. And she's just like, that game's over. Would you guys just go up for dinner or something? Yeah, we went for dinner and then went to an escape room neat but yeah she just was like 
that game's over. And then someone else who didn't watch a lot of hockey is like, oh, there's there's still time in the game, right? And uh, she just she just looked at her and was like, not for six goals against Vegas. Yeah. So it's not like when you that time you were in Toronto when you saw the Utah Jazz and went out clubbing with Drake. <laughs> no, no. So there's a couple of really cool notes like we got to talk about. First of all, Mark Stone's hat trick to seal his first Stanley Cup victory. Like I said, I mean, I knew this game was over for Florida. When he scored that first goal, when he skated down the wing, came and then came to a full stop. And then yeah. put it top shelf. No, you can't let Mark Stone do that. And this is something I've kind of noticed is Florida, unlike the rest of the playoffs, Florida was really bad really? when they had second, when they had first change. So when they didn't have home team advantage, like Bruce Cassidy just got every matchup he wanted and Florida couldn't do anything about it. And then on top of that, the team was just flat without Matthew Kachuk. And uh, this, the, Fourth line of Zach Dalp, Colin White, and Dinosenko. They were on for six minutes. And they got shelled. I believe they were on for four and five goals. Like, how? Yeah, it's... It's one of those things where it's like, man, what do you really say about Florida? I don't think I've seen a less convincing Stanley Cup championship, really. No. Although, according to Chris Cuthbert on the CBC broadcast, that this was the highest scoring Stanley Cup victory game? Yeah. Well, have I ever seen a Stanley Cup playoff game go to nine? No, I think we saw LA Jersey go to six. Like, that's like that's nuts within itself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's funny, Tim? All of my notes on this game are all about Vegas. It's crazy. I mean, we talk about Mark Stone, but let's talk about the one of the other big names on this. A name that you got to imagine Sabre fans are just fuming at the idea of this guy winning a cup. Jack Eichel. He played his heart out. Makes the playoffs for the first time and wins the cup. I can't believe that Eichel has a cup before McDavid. You know what would have been crazy, Tim? If the roles were reversed and Florida won, Sam Reinhart would have a Stanley Cup before Connor McDavid. That's just wild to me. But also, like, I can't believe this isn't the first playoffs that we've had Eichel versus McDavid. Because they're both generational players. And it's the first time either one of them has been to the finals. Yeah, like, just absolutely wild. It is. You know what's also wild, Tim? Minnesota, no I'm kidding. Is <laughs> that Jonathan Marshall? So he won the Conn Smythe Trophy. I know that you said Matthew Dechuk won it. I I actually feel the same way. I think Matthew should have won it too. But I think it's really cool because Jonathan Marshall becomes the first undrafted player since Wayne Gretzky to win the Conn Smythe. And Wayne Gretzky doesn't even really count. That doesn't count. You cannot count players that came from the WHA into the NHL. Yeah, no. Like, I will not accept that. But, like, yeah, what Master Schultz did was, frankly, impressive. Uh, 13 goals tied with 
Leon Dreisaitl. Although uh, most points was Jack Eichel with 26, Marsha Scholl with 25. I think the big difference is uh, Marsha Scholl had one of the very fun Hatties, while Eichel didn't. And quite a few game winners. And you can argue that uh, Marsha Scholl created more goals. But just a dominant performance by both Master Scholl, Kachuk, Stone, and Eichel. So let's talk about another guy in the Vegas Golden Knights, Tim. You know, because there were quite a few players in this team that won their multiple Stanley Cups. Yeah, Jonathan Quick, who won his multiple cup, I think. Bill Castle. Bill Castle. There it is. Bill the thrill. One is third. He's one behind Gretzky. That's right. <laughs> I just love the post game. They go, so Phil, what are you going to do? Ah, I don't know. I mean... I'm just gonna go party with the boys and it's gonna be sick. <laughs> I love Bill Castle. <laughs> the guy didn't do anything in this playoffs and he won a cup. Did he even play? No. <laughs> I don't think he played at all. <laughs> My work here is done. He didn't do anything. Did nothing. Just. Oh, Phil Kessel. Yeah. As you know, it's crazy. As much as you have a lot of guys on that team that won their first, like your Mark Stones, your Eichels, not as good as Petrangelo, but he got that's a second. That is very cool when you got a guy like Jonathan Quick wins his third, Kessel wins his third. At this point, you would have to imagine three cups would get you into. Oh, Phil Kessel played four games. Did he? And he got two assists. Beauty. Beauty. Fill fill the thrill. Still got it. So good, man. So good. No, I do have one comment. I want to get your take on this, Tim, because there was a shot after Vegas won the Stanley Cup of a section of Vegas Golden Knight fans who honestly look like they couldn't have cared less that their team just won the Stanley Cup. And I know social media was very critical. And I don't blame them to a certain degree. I think for myself, when the score is 9-3 and you already know your team's won, it's not exciting. For me, anyway, because I'm as, as a Seahawks fan, when we won Super Bowl 48, I knew the game was over by the third quarter. Yeah, so you're just doing something else. You're you're just kind of waiting. But I guess it's like, I'm surprised they're not like high-fiving. Like, like the ass padding gets old. Yeah. Yeah, but when you just see fans just like, like this... Yeah. Blank looks on their face like, yay. Yeah, it looks bad, but it's like, I get it. Although, did you hear about their Stanley Cup parade on Saturday? No, what happened? 7 p.m. down the Vegas Strip. That's going to be one of the best Stanley Cup parades we're ever going to see. Down Holy the Vegas Lord. Strip, all lit up at night. That That's awesome. How much is a flight to Vegas? Well, Chelsea's not in the room, so. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Chelsea, I, I got a work thing I got to go to. It's in Las Vegas on a weekend tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, bye. Do you want to come with? Absolutely, let's go. Okay, but uh, no, no. Uh, yo, that's going to be hype. Also, uh, I seem to remember that every rap. 
every round so far, you've been announcing what our predictions were before the round started. And uh, I have noticed a very impressive lack of an announcement of the prediction this time, Tay. Would you like to remind our intrepid viewers, our darling dear viewers, what our predictions were? Tim, why are you like this? <laughs> yes. Okay, so for our listeners who may have recalled from our last episode, we gave our predictions. I said the Florida Panthers in six. Tim Jensi apparently is um, Nostradamus. Nostradamus, thank you. I'm fucking so frazzled over here. I know (laughs) you correctly chose it. Vegas in five. Well, I mean, this is like, if you just, if you'd remembered at the beginning, I would just let it. I wouldn't have gloated so much, but the fact that you just thought that I would notice. You thought I would not notice. (laughs) We get this big Tim W and you just try to squeak on by without mentioning it. Yeah. You're right. Good on you, though. (laughs) (laughs) But unlike you who uh, turned your uh, five your uh, bolt sweep call into a new Stutzler jersey. I, I didn't have any oh, money right on the line. Uh, bolts and five. Bolts and five, right. That's true. Yeah, so we both got our both got our W's. We got our W's. We'll take that. Now, did you bet on anything, though, for no, the game? No, of course not. Oh, see? Now, what Senator's jersey would have you... Would you have gotten your own Stutzler jersey if you'd correctly got that for money? Yeah, probably. That's just... A, I think that's a third-line plug thing. If we correctly choose the right team, we have to buy a Tim Stutzler jersey. I'll let Chelsea know. You know what? Tim Tim Stutzler is also getting our money for this, Tim. Just through it, the royalties it's and merchandise. True. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So, Tim, this wraps up the 2023 Stanley Cup Finals. And that wraps up the season. Yeah. It's hard to believe, man. Another season's already in the books. Yeah, and... Uh... I guess once free agency rolls around, uh, free agency draft, we'll be seeing y'all again. Yeah. I mean, I know I'll be seeing you this summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're coming down Stampede. No, actually, we're not going to the Stampede. It's uh, we're going to be in Castor. We're going to be at Katrina's mom and dad's place. Right. But you could go to Stampede. That's true. All Elite Wrestling is also in there, too. Hmm. Now, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make before we officially close out the season? No, I think we're good. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so so much for listening to the NHL playoffs on the third line plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and Apple iTunes, I think it was. Yeah. I don't know. It's been almost two. It's over two hours. Jesus Christ. You can find you can find the show on both Twitter and SoundCloud. You can find me on both at third. You can find sorry, you can find the show at Third Line Plug. Me at Great White Gebster and Tim on Twitter at M nine hundred one Honey Badger. God, what a brutal way to close out this episode. I just just limp, limp into the you off season. Yeah, exactly. You correctly predict Vegas in five. And, and then I just am. do it in like the most obnoxious way possible. I know. 
next episode. Da, na, 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 na. Tim was right. Tim, Tim was, was right. right. Tim, Tim was, was right. right. No, you already used that one, so <laughs> you don't get the second chance of that. Okay, fine. Until next time, guys. I'm your host, Dylan Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Santa. Woo!